What's happening, hardscapers? This is episode 210 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. And today we're joined by Jeffrey Scott. He is a coach and consultant in the landscape industry and host of the Ultimate Landscape CEO podcast. And we get into a variety of topics, everything from struggles to overhead and incorporating overhead into your pricing, a few different strategies for that. But we need to say thank you to our sponsors who help us continue this podcast. We want to say thank you to GPS Track It. If you need GPS tracking in your business, work vehicles, assets, check out GPS Track It at gpstrackit.com slash how to hardscape, as well as in light outdoor lighting. If you are looking to get into outdoor lighting, adding lighting to your outdoor living spaces, which I believe is a must, check out at Inlight Design on Instagram, get that conversation started there or look to them for inspiration on their page. And as always, Cycle CPA, if you need bookkeeping, accounting, CFO services, reach out to Cycle CPA, let them know how to hardscape sent you for $200 off their services there. And without further ado, let's get into today's interview with Jeffrey Scott. Today, we're joined by Jeffrey Scott. He is a coach and consultant in the landscaping industry and host of the Ultimate Landscape CEO podcast with Jeffrey Scott. You can find out more about him on his website, jeffreyscott.biz. That's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-S-C-O-T-T dot biz. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us here. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. Appreciate it. Jeffrey, let's get started to get to know a little bit more about you, yourself, how you got started in this industry. Can you give our audience a little bit of context as to your beginnings in this industry and a little bit of a background about yourself? For sure. I grew up in the industry, so my family, my grandfather really uh, started the first gunite pool company in Connecticut. This is going way back, right after World War II. And my family was known as the, this is me sort of jokingly calling it the swimming pool mafia in Connecticut, because my uncle has a pool company. My cousin has a pool company. My brother has a pool company. My other brother has a pool company uh, now. But back then, uh, it was just my, originally my grandfather and my uncle. And, you know, we grew up working in that business. Uh, My father worked for my uncle and then my father started up his own pool company. So the mafia circle began to enlarge. And and that's where I really grew up working in the business uh, from a really young age. And that pool company became a landscape company. And uh, after I graduated college and went out into the working world for about seven years, I have an engineering degree. I went off and got a business degree. And actually, I did consulting in Europe uh, and worked overseas. And then I came back to work again in the family landscape business and I became CEO and brought modern business techniques to it. Family business and a lot of family members in it. And after a while, my wife and I decided, you know, family is nice and it's better to keep them as family versus business partners. And so we went off on our own and I started up my own consulting business. And instead of doing corporate consulting, which I had been doing overseas, really, you know, really big clients, I decided to focus in on the green industry, the landscape industry. And my experience in residential and the swimming pool side has been a big plus. And so now 
I work with, gosh, I have about 125 companies, all members of my peer group community, all landscape, hardscape, you know, some do pools, some do tree, lawn care, et cetera. But I'm going to call it the, the landscape, you know, broader industry. Um, and so we have, we run peer groups, peer group communities, and this will be 10, 15, 20 companies, non-competing within a peer group. And we run multiple peer groups. And then I also coach a handful of clients one-on-one to help them to either fix their business or scale their business or exit from their business. And I then started up my podcast a, a few years ago, but when COVID hit, I, I really supercharged it. I said, you know, we're all alone here. We all need some help and support. And so I started interviewing uh, owners, mostly owners of landscape companies, large and small, clients and non-clients, uh, right around the time of COVID. And that took a lot of interest, just like your podcast has a lot of interest for people to listen in and hear the stories. And so thanks so much for having me here. Yeah. And it's a, a pleasure to have you, Jeffrey, here. And uh, just to ask you some questions about your your story there, uh, going over to Europe and doing the, that consultation for those larger businesses, what what experience and what things were you able to pick out of those businesses and the guidance that you were able to give those businesses and bring over and apply to a smaller, say, landscaping business, mom and pop shop? Uh, what what were you able to pick from your experience overseas and bring over to the North American market here? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, I had recognitions and ideas. Like, So one of the recognitions I had, not quite answer your question, but it's still very important for why I'm here today, is, God, it's tough and sometimes boring working for large companies where they have trouble making decisions and moving. And I really enjoy working with the entrepreneur that I can empower them to have immediate impact on their business and in their personal life. And so that's what really drives me is helping to empower and give that power to entrepreneurs. What I saw is that big companies over in Europe kind of making a lot of the same mistakes that small companies make. You know, you're not alone and you may think, hey, we're small, you know, we're, we're, you may downplay yourself, but really companies of all sizes make the same mistakes and have the same opportunities. And and what I saw is this opportunity to professionalize our industry. And so obviously large companies operate a lot more professionally. And so they and so we in the landscape world, I think, can really learn from that to act bigger, think bigger, think more professionally, and bring that to our little companies in order to grow more quickly, and just to professionalize our industry so we can have more confidence in what we do and pride. And I don't mean just artistic pride, but pride of owning a business and that it can be professional. You know, I think we get short shrift because we're not well organized from a legal perspective, right? It's really easy to come in and just say, hey, I'm a contractor. You don't need a license right in in many areas and uh the competition is fierce 
meaning there's a lot of people in the race to the bottom in terms of pricing. So real opportunity for us to have pride in our business and to treat it like a real profession. And by doing that, we're going to be able to pull ourselves up from the bootstrap, so to speak, and um, attract better employees and ultimately live a much better lifestyle as an entrepreneur and an owner. All right. So getting into things here with your experience with peer groups and coaching and uh, your consults, what are some common underlying problems or things that you've been able to help guide business owners away from or towards? Uh, what are some of the most common struggles, common aspects of the business that you see that uh, you can quite easily step in and point a business owner in the right direction or help them identify things that will help them get in the right direction? Yeah, great question. So I I work in three phases, companies that are in the following three phases. I help companies to fix their business. So for those of you that are overworked and underpaid, uh, and then I help companies scale their business where you've hit like a plateau that you're bumping up against or you're going fat, you're growing, but you want to grow a lot faster. And then I help companies exit their business where you either want to sell the company or pull back, retire in place and get the business to more run itself. So those are the three areas. Maybe you want to steer your question in one of those areas. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, maybe we'll kind of pick apart each of those here. That first area where uh, the business owner is struggling. I'm sure a lot of our audience, especially this time of year, can really resonate with that type of thing, with the unorganization yep. of the spring rush and the demand that gets put on a business owner if you're an owner operator. And at least myself, I'll speak for myself and say that that uh, can be a very, very difficult time if you don't have the right things in place to help you through that. Um, how do you help a struggling business owner? First off, how do you identify where they are struggling, what they're struggling with? I would assume it's a very common thing to struggle. Uh, like we're all experiencing that same struggle. Uh, but what is that and what, how do you kind of get them on the right path towards uh, out of that struggle, I guess? Yeah, the struggle is a great word. You know, sometimes, oh, can I use a metaphor here to answer the question? Absolutely. <clears throat> and so I had, uh, I have a long history of uh, struggle with one of my children my daughter and without getting into specific she had a lot of issues that she's working through now she's 21 but this is going back you know basically to the point of when we adopted her and, and then when she was younger and uh and we struggled a lot with her and then at some point we realized oh she's struggling and we don't have to struggle and so we realized oh we can get off the uh, roller coaster and stop struggling. And then we can be there to support her and help her. But her struggle isn't necessarily our struggle. And I think as an entrepreneur, it's very similar. We're struggling, you're struggling. But a lot of that struggle uh, is, I don't want to say made up, but you can choose not to struggle. And so I'll give you a, like an example of that. You're, we're selling to all kinds of clients, right? And some clients, they love us and some clients hate us. 
But when we're younger in, in the business, we're taking everybody. Hey, we'll take business from anywhere. And so you end up taking on these clients uh, who just become the struggle. But they're not really clients who believe what you believe and they don't really want what you're selling, but you're sort of adapting your business to fit them. And that becomes the struggle. You don't have to do that. You don't have to take on clients that aren't a good fit for you. In fact, if you just stop, just like we got off the roller coaster with our daughter, if you just stop servicing clients that aren't a good fit, your struggle just starts to dissipate. And so you total, you you have to make that shift from yes, 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 we'll take everybody to no, 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 we're going to be a lot more choosy. And in this booming economy that we've had in uh, in the past few years, really, it's been a lot easier to do that. It's a little harder now. I think we're seeing some hiccups, but the struggle, yes, it's difficult, right? Yes, the being an entrepreneur always comes with challenges, but if we could just stop the struggles that that are uh, voluntary, it becomes a lot easier. So let's become a lot choosier to who we're going to sell. Um, let's get our pricing figured out. You, we were talking off camera a little bit about overhead recovery. Let's get our pricing figured out so that we're making, so the business is making money. One of my favorite shows is Shark Tank. It's like, hello. What's the product cost? What do you sell it for? Is there enough margin? And every other person on the show, right? You don't have enough margin in that product. And so that's the same that goes with people in the audience. Half of you listening probably don't have enough margin. You're not recovering enough cost to pay for overhead, pay for your salary, and pay for profit. Right in the Shark Tank, they always ask, "Are you pulling a salary from that?" Oh, you're not. Oh, so your company's making even less money. So same goes with half the people listening here, right? So you've got to price that work uh, so that you recover your costs for the crew you have, not the crew you wish you had. Right? Wink, wink. Uh, for the crews you have, and you've got to put yourself in overhead as salary. Uh, to cover your costs. You don't make money from profit. You make return on investment from profit, but for a for a small and medium-sized company, you better put yourself in as overhead plus your profit. Now, to get that, that amount of money, uh, you're going to have to probably raise your prices from what you're used to. And to do that, you got to dump the head trash. You're no longer the small business. Think of yourself as a large business, even if you're small. Be, in your mind, this larger, more professional business. Start saying no to these clients that are struggling and suck you into their struggle and make you struggle. And start selling and working with clients that, as I, in my words, believe what you believe and want what you have to sell. You work hard to build a successful business, and because of this, it is important to work with companies that you can trust, rely on, and whose missions are to give you the highest quality product and customer support. Low voltage outdoor lighting is one of the easiest ways for you to grow your business and increase revenue. Using lighting can make you more profit, add that wow factor, and make your business stand out. Whether you are already using outdoor lighting in your hardscape projects or not, 
it's time you check out Inlight Outdoor Lighting. As a professional hardscaper, we know that you need efficient installs, less callbacks, and premium products to have a successful and growing business. Inlight's got you covered. They've created some of the most premium and unique lighting on the market to make your project stand out and wow your clients with their unmatched light quality. It gets better. InLight has an unbeatable customer support team, provides many educational resources like online and in-person training, installation videos, and so much more. They care about your business growth and will be with you every step of the way. For more information on how InLight can help you grow your business, check them out on Instagram at in light design that's at i-n-l-i-t-e design on instagram dm them to find out how to put more money in your pocket this season now back to the podcast so in a sense you would want a, a business owner to be able to uh, exude or show what they want their business to look like what um whether that's through their trucks, through their uniform, everything that they show that client, they want to exude that professionalism and the company that they want to be, even if they're not quite there yet, correct? Oh, 100%. You have to embody that. Your client wants that too. They mm -hmm. want you to succeed, right? A good client wants their contractor to succeed. They don't beat you up on price. So not only do I want them to do that, Mike, I want them, I want us entrepreneurs to then say, oh, you, you're a great fit. And you, I'm sorry, I don't think we're a good fit. That's not how I operate or, you know, choose your words and screen out the clients that aren't a good fit. Don't chase them. Don't feel guilty. Don't worry about your next paycheck. If you need more leads, you can invest in marketing. If you can't afford marketing, you're not charging enough. All great companies do marketing and you've got to put that into the budget. And if you think clients won't buy from you, what you're doing is remembering these clients that are really not a good fit for you because good fit clients will spend the money to get a good product and a good service. Okay. So you mentioned budget, you mentioned overhead. So I do have to ask you, cause this has been on my mind quite a bit lately and that's overhead recovery systems. Jeffrey, do you have a specific system that you prefer one over the other, whether that's multiple single overhead recovery systems, uh, labor rate, or anything uh, that you might have on, on the top of your mind? Or does it depend on the business model, especially if we're talking green industry, landscape industry, that's lawn care, that's landscaping, that's hardscaping and everything in between? Uh, Jeffrey, any any thoughts on either of those systems? Yeah, oh, I 100% do. Why was it on your mind? Are you like sort of doing it one way and wondering for yourself if you should do it enough another way or? So we're in the process of actually uh, just to go back on what we did with how to hardscape in the beginning is we set up a spreadsheet that helped people budget and then recover their overhead through, uh, you know, basically through labor rate. And uh, through the years, we were developing that spreadsheet more and more for users. And then we hit a point where uh, a jump off point where we actually started to create our own software 
And within that, um, and throughout the years, I've been diving into each of these recover, uh, overhead recovery systems and trying to decide which one is the best route, not only for me, but for uh, especially the starting out uh, entrepreneur, which is a lot of what we kind of tailor to, as well as uh, to satisfy their growth as well. So um, I have my own personal opinions, but I also want to hear as many uh, thoughts and opinions on the subject as I can possibly hear. Oh, for sure. You know, there isn't one right way. And that is, all, but that's also to say that uh, I, multiple overhead recovery, you know, 20 years ago was, was, was touted as, oh, this is the way, but there isn't really one right way. For example, if you're a general contractor, you're going to do single overhead recovery, most likely, meaning you put the same markup on everything, but that's different than labor overhead recovery. Um, I do like labor overhead recovery, but I also like to do a modificate a modified version of that. So labor overhead recovery is very valuable because it connects your labor schedule to your budget. Like the, the two become linked like with an automatic connection. And so I like every company going through that process, even if they use multiple overhead recovery, because I love the concept of managing by billable hours. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to spread some overhead on materials and certainly on equipment, right? Um, I, I'm not a believer of always putting all your equipment into overhead, which labor overhead recovery would have you do because, and it depends on what you're doing, but if you've got some big pieces of equipment that are, that are being used in certain parts of your business, then the, those costs should go to that part, right? Or if you're doing mowing and, you know, there can be a heavy equipment cost with mowing and uh, then those costs should go there. But I love labor overhead recovery for the reasons I mentioned. Having said that, I I then see too many companies still leaving money on the table <clears throat> where they could be marking up their soft skate materials higher, uh, their subs a lot higher because a lot of hidden costs with subs. So my answer to you is a modified version of labor overhead recovery. Yeah, and I, I think we're somewhat on the same page there. And I'll tell you kind of my thoughts a little bit more about that is that labor overhead recovery is the way I go. And I, I think that's kind of comes from my background of being that lift and relay business, taking on outdoor living space, uh, design builds as well, and not knowing exactly how much percentage I'm going to be doing uh, in one given year between the two. So multiple overhead recovery just does not apply to a business like that in trying to recover, uh, especially your overhead through materials, when a lift and relay business could not use barely any materials. Um, and then, so what we do with the labor recovery system is we recover our overhead through our labor rate, but then we still mark up material, materials based on 
Um, not only trying to add a little bit more padding to our profitability, but also taking into factor our warranty callbacks and everything like that. So if there is a cracked stone, how much percentage of our pro projects go out where over the winter there's a malfunction in a stone or something happened to a stone where, you know what, we're going to go out there for our client. We're going to replace that. So we want to mark up our, our materials to be able to recoup that cost in the future or materials show up and that's the wrong materials and that eats away at our hours or a bundle shows up and it's cracked and we got to replace yep. that. That's going to eat up. So that's where our material markup comes from, from mostly. I do think that figuring out the right labor overhead recovery still is not well understood. And so even those that are, that are doing what you said, uh, may not be putting enough costs in there to run a professional business and to pay themselves a professional wage and to have the money in there needed to scale the business. So even having the right model, um, that's just like decision number one. And then there's other decisions that go into it to, to figure out the right overhead recovery. Um, and you called it padding profit but i think we should separate um padding the estimate that's one thing right. <clears throat> you know contingencies etc and um adding money for nuisance jobs that take more overhead and adding money uh for jobs that fit into your sweet spot where you can basically make more money. So there's, you really want to look at the cost side, the overhead side, and then where you can actually make a good profit. And what is a good profit? Like how much profit should you be making? And I, most contractors uh, accept way too little of profit. So you got to make the right decisions in all those buckets. Uh, in order to build a winning company. Absolutely. And uh, I could talk about this for a long time with you, Jeffrey, but going on to the next part of the the buckets of businesses that you, you serve there, the growth business. Uh, what kind of things are you typically talking with business owners that are in that growth or the scaling uh, bucket of businesses and maybe issues that they may be having? Or what are you helping with helping them with in order to help them scale and grow their business there? So that's connected to we didn't really fully answer the first. Oh, sorry about that item of fixing business. Nah, that's fine. So you're overworked and underpaid. So we talked about underpaid, I think, <clears throat> or we did, but we only touched on overworked and it's connected to underpaid. Like uh, you have to, if you're doing as the owner, two different jobs, you got to have that money in the budget so you can replace yourself with somebody else and that money's in the budget. And so where I see people overworked, and this is connected to scaling, is uh, I see a lot of owners doing work in the office, doing admin, and the value add for them is not high. Like, okay, I get you're going to start off doing that, but really you want to replace yourself from admin so you can go do higher value add work. <clears throat> and uh, to do that, you're going to 
have to raise your overhead to pull yourself out of that, right? And so you're going to have to make some tough calls. And I say tough, more of an internal mental struggle tough. But if you're going to scale the business, you need admin. It's like a three-legged stool. You need admin. You need an admin includes finance, right? So finance and admin. You need production and you need sales. And so figuring out how to pull yourself out of all three of those ultimately is what it takes to scale the business. But you said your audience might be one to three crews. And I'm working with companies that are going to be on the upper end of that and up and higher and higher, right? But in any event, to scale your business, it's all about replicating yourself and having someone else do that work and setting up systems. And then as you grow from size to size, re-looking at those systems and revamping them with the new structure in mind. Um, But I would say the first place is pulling yourself out of admin where you can. And these days you can hire part-time people for admin. I mean, it's easy to outsource admin locally, uh, overseas, et cetera, and to set other people up to do that admin for you so you can have a life. The key is to enjoy your life while you're building the business and not get sucked so deep into the business that your family takes set, plays second fiddle. You know, that's only going to play for so long. And at some point, your family is going to give up on you. And I, that could be a whole separate podcast. You don't want that happening. And so you can't be burning the candle at both ends without bringing, giving due respect to your spouse and your children, et cetera, et cetera. And so pulling yourselves out of these multiple roles, admin is the first. I think in production, um, it's important, no matter how small your business, uh, is to have a good second in command. You could have a one crew business and you could be the foreman and you better have a lead hand who is your right hand person and thinks like the foreman could become the foreman. Uh, And then you might have two crews or three crews. You better have one of those foremen that acts more like a, a field manager or is thinking at a high level and is your right hand person in the field. And so no matter the size, you want that right hand person or you might even have two divisions. And you might have two right-hand people, but not going it alone and having someone who's got your back, your eyes, and your ears, and is helping you grow that part of the business and and can be your eyes and ears so you don't have to be there all the time. Absolutely critical to you know getting your life back, but also to scaling the business and then ultimately doing the same thing on the sales side. I just want to take a break from today's episode to talk about our sponsor, Cycle CPA. You may have a CRM or project management software in place, but what data are you using to ensure your estimating is accurate? Having a proper accounting setup and accurate bookkeeping done is key to understanding overhead expenses and other costs that must be recouped in your estimates. Cycle CPA is a remote bookkeeping and CFO firm that helps to connect the dots from the financial reports to the hardscape and landscape data needed in order to reach high profits. They provide landscape and hardscape industry benchmarking, job costing financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. 
Cycle CPA's team of accountants are specialized within the hardscape and landscape industry, and you can visit them at CycleCPA.com and for $200 off, mention the How to Hardscape podcast. Now back to our episode. So Jeffrey, you did mention the hurdle, the mindset hurdle of hiring for admin. Um, why do you think so many business owners see that as a mental hurdle to hire somebody on as admin? And then how do you yourself as a consultant coach or in the peer groups help people overcome that? Is it just a matter of telling them it's just it, you it's part of your budget, it's part of your overhead and you'll recoup those costs and you'll get some time back? Or what is that for you that you see to help business owners get over that hurdle? Yeah. You know, and whether it's admin or production or sales, it's really the same set of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> what is that mental hurdle? You know, some people have it, some don't. Uh, what stops me from bringing on admin? Uh, some of it's a lack of trust. I would say entrepreneurs have very low trust for a myriad reasons. Um, some is a lack of permission. Oh, I thought I had to be that person who did that. My uncle told me nobody will ever run your business as well as you. Don't trust anybody with your money, right? Somebody took away that permission to do that. And, and now I'm doing that. Uh, I might have a spouse who partially does it and they don't want to let go, right? And so we're in it. We're kind of stuck in it together. Um, I can't afford it. There's no way I can afford it. I can barely pay myself back to the whole pay issue. So I don't have time. I don't have time to think about it because I'm already wearing three or four hats. I don't have time to train somebody on one of these hats. So the obstacle comes from many places. Where where do you think it comes from? Where do you, you interact for, a lot with contractors? For me personally, I know where it comes from. And it's I I wouldn't say it's the lack of trust. I just think I, especially with something that is mine, uh, am very controlling. So it's very difficult for me to give up that control and give it into the hands of somebody else. That's called lack of trust. Okay. <laughs> so that it's a lack of trust. <laughs> it is. But it's also a lack of good systems. If you have a good system, a good software, that helps tremendously. Um, there is a one reason to not have trust, a good reason. Small businesses are very easy to steal from. So you need to have good accounting controls in place. But to have those accounting controls, you actually need multiple people. So you have one person, you know, doing AP payables and one person doing receivables or, and that's hard to do when you're really small. And so finding the right person, uh, but also involving maybe your spouse or your outside accountant to come in and bring some of those accounting controls, the, the double check. That can help. So uh, there is a good reason to be controlling from that perspective. Uh, and so, I mean, in the peer group, again, we help empower people to work through all these obstacles. I mean, I have companies up to $20 million in my peer group. So we help you get through all the ranges of growth. Um, and that control issue is a big issue for many entrepreneurs. Definitely. And moving through that growth and scaling phase of a business, uh, having those $20 million businesses and, you know, seven figure plus businesses in your peer groups, 
is there is there a certain commonality between those business owners that you see that when you talk to them, you can say they have that they have what is necessary for them to achieve the growth and the scaling that they want to achieve that they set out to achieve? Do you see any commonalities in terms of their personalities, in terms of the way they talk, in terms of the the actions that they do take in their businesses to get to where they want to go? You know, I wasn't quite sure where you're going to go with that commonality question. And so, uh, but I, I'll tell you the commonality of all businesses and all that all entrepreneurs have to face, no matter the size of business in order to grow. And that is, the commonality is you've got to hire and build a team that can take you to that next level. So if you're at half a million and you want to get to a million and a half, You've got to start hiring people now. They can get you to the million and a million and a half. If you're at 10 million and you want to go to 20 million, you may end up with different people on your team at 20 million than 10 million. But if you can hire them earlier on in the process, it'll make getting there so much easier. So if I understood your question correctly in terms of the commonality, that really is the silver bullet commonality of thinking beyond your status quo, thinking three, four, five, six years ahead and ponying up, is that a verb? Ponying up uh, the money it costs to hire that person. And you, you hear this sometimes from great entrepreneurs. Oh, I was the, I paid that person more than me and that person more than me and that person more than me. Nothing wrong with that. Over, not overpaying, uh, uh, over hiring, hiring talent that can help you get through the next rung or two of scaling and paying for that talent uh, is a great way to scale. And you should all be doing that. Maybe not to the extreme I just said, but if you only hire for today's position, you're going to continue to struggle. Remember I said that struggle is optional in growing the business. There's always challenges. Challenges are mandatory. Struggling is optional. Excellent, excellent advice there. And then uh, I don't know if it's suitable to get into that next bucket of of people that are ready to either retire, hand off their business, sell their business, or whatnot. Um, in, In the landscape construction industry where there's no recurring revenue, and uh, it's a lot of assets and depreciating assets that are on balance sheets to be sold to. Have you seen in your time businesses that are able to sell for much more than what their assets or their balance sheet would say uh, for them to sell for based on them finding a way to include some sort of recurring revenue model into their business or to improve the lifetime value of a client over their their period of time or whatever it might be, having the right systems in place to be able to just hand off to a buyer? Or is a lot of what you've seen more so handing off to the next generation? Or uh, I, I do think that you mentioned uh, when talking about this bucket of businesses where maybe they just have the right people in place and they're able to more so take a back seat and kind of let the business do more or less than what it needs to do on its own. So depending on your business, the person listening, the answer is going to be 
some combination of what you just said. So really, I mean, it's very specific, right? I'm working with a company right now in Minnesota that is a landscape, hardscape install, mostly install company. And the owner is old and the his second in command is younger and they're trying to figure out the succession plan. And of course the owner wants to, when you get older, you're, you don't want to invest as much into the business, but the company is, I don't know, it's a million, million and a half. And to transition, they've got to set up the tripod. Like I spoke about with admin production and sales the owner's got to be willing to invest and, you know, maybe get rid of some clients that he, or I'm sorry, some, an employee or two that helped him, you know, what got you here won't get you there, but he loves that employee, but that employee should have gone five years ago. And so the own, the owner's got to be willing to make some choices so that he can pull himself out so that the incoming person can come in and take over and buy the business. And, both have to be flexible, the outgoing and the incoming. Now, you asked how the business gets valued. Uh, if you're going to strip the business, then it's going to be based on asset value. It, but if you're going to build a business independent of the owner, something that can operate as a real business and not just a job, then it starts to accrue real value, whether it's through systems, reputation, um marketing systems uh, uh, many if the owner can pull himself out and that business can keep running now we've got something of value and so ultimately retiring in place let me pull myself out slowly is the same similar path to let me make this business more valuable and it doesn't just require recurring services we can do that with the hardscape business we can do that with the landscape business. Recurring services helps quite a bit, but if the majority of the business, and as I think it is for those listening, is hardscape or install, let's say, uh, even that can be turned into a um, a replicatable model that therefore has value. And with that, do you see um, if if somebody comes to you in the peer groups or a discussion comes up about passing off to the next or what that succession plan looks like. Um, what is a conversation like that? How does that progress in one of these peer groups or just discussing with you and trying to identify what is the best path forward for this business owner? And then do you create like a plan B for that? For example, if they wanted to hand it off to the next generation, but the next generation decides years later, you know what? I don't want it. Um, what do these conversations so sort of look like? Because I have, actually never been privy to one of these types of conversations. Well, if the conversation is about a future, not yet ready generation, that's a whole separate discussion. Uh, call me if that's the issue you have and we can deal with that. But that's different from like the, where, where you know the person who you, who you think will take the business over and you're setting up a plan. You're going to plan. Uh, I don't like plan B. In that case, hey, you and I are going to do this together, right? We're going to come up with the plan. Um, oh, plan 
you always need plan B's in your business, but if you're dealing on a specific succession plan, that is the plan. If you're not sure who's going to take over the business, okay, then we get a plan A and a plan B uh, and maybe a plan C in terms of who we're going to sell the business to, for sure. Then then there's going to be multiple uh, options, but we still need a defined strategy and what who we think the buyer is going to be and what direction we're going to go. So, I, I mean, we could sit here and have a whole separate podcast on that if you want, and we could we could dive into that. But uh, that would, you know, in that case, we would talk about different scenarios and what's the right scenario here and what's the right scenario there. And therefore, what strategies uh, would we take on depending on the scenario? So Jeffrey, my my next question for you is uh, about peer groups and why why peer groups and how have you seen peer groups really help business owners that are that are joining in on these sort of discussions and what does that help with business owners, especially landscapers and contractors, help with their business? Um, so just throwing out there, Jeffrey, why why peer groups? Peer groups uh, give you a Listen, it, it's lonely being an entrepreneur, right? <clears throat> you can talk to your spouse about stuff or not. Uh, you can talk to your employees about some stuff, but not everything. <clears throat> uh, you've got your your banker or your CPA, and yeah, they give good advice, but they kind of are they kind of play one tune only, right? Let's lower taxes, and I don't really get. I I'm lucky if I get any kind of business advice, but even there, it's not fantastic. Uh, you go to the local chambers of commerce and God, everyone says their business is great, even though it's not. And so who can you talk to, to be honest and get honest feedback and real support. And so uh, I was a member of a peer group when I ran my landscape business and it was sort of a generic peer group with local business owners and what was missing was talking to real peers, people who had my exact same issues, my exact same or similar budget and benchmarks. And so I created the Leaders Edge community to help entrepreneurs. And really, we help in like six, seven different ways. We give you accountability. So a good peer group gives accountability because you don't have, you don't really have a boss, right? You get to do what you want. That's why you went into business for yourself. But we all need that accountability to keep moving forward. Um, we need best practices. We, do, we don't want to make mistakes that we don't need to. I'd rather somebody give me a, a roadmap or little pieces of roadmaps. You, you know, you don't get a whole roadmap, but what, what do I do here? What do I do there? What do I do here? If you can get these shortcuts and avoid the dead ends and the uh, rabbit trails from your peers, then it'd be a lot easier to make these incremental decisions to grow my business. Um, it gives you mental support where you get more confidence in what you're doing. Yes, affirmations, you're doing things right or uh, sympathy. Hey, we're all having that same issue. Don't beat yourself up. Uh, and confidence, you know what? You're really going in the right direction. God, I love that. And so you can really build up momentum with the right peer group. Um benchmarking. What are the right metrics for my business? I hear on the street, I should be making X profit or charging Y. 
or having so much revenue per man hour or revenue per crew. Well, what's the reality? And oh, it's a lot more complex than what I hear in the streets. And or it's a lot higher than what the average bozo, B-O-Z-O, is doing out on the streets. Uh, High achievers really have their own higher set of standards. And so that's what all this is what that peer group gives you, uh, plus a board of advisors. And we've set ours up so it's facilitated. It's very structured, uh, very productive use of your time, not just, hey, we're getting together and we're brainstorming and we're having drinks around the bar and we're shooting the breeze. And yeah, I got some good ideas. No, it's very structured. So you get... uh, so that you get a lot out for your time and for your money. And uh, it makes it just a, you know, the older you get, the less time you have. That's what I've noticed. The bigger, the older your family gets, the less time you have, the bigger your company gets, the less time you have, the older you get, the more commitments you have. And so you've got a peer group needs to be accountable to give you a really good use of your time and good, not just ROI, but ROT return on your time. And so I I think that's what a good peer group should do. And that's what really separates us. I want to interrupt this episode to talk to you about GPS track it. When it comes to running a landscaping business, the question isn't what do you do, but what don't you do? If it's not a customer that needs your attention, it's one of your drivers or one of your vehicles. But you already know that GPS TrackIt exists to help you know more than what you already know, like the most efficient routes to maximize your service potential, like whether or not your vehicles and crews are where they're supposed to be, like how to save unnecessary fuel costs and other costs. And we're going to be covering the benefits of GPS tracking in the future on this podcast. So we're going to continue with the benefits of GPS tracking. But we'll let our fleet advisors give you the full picture. Call 866-693-1291 or go to gpstrackit.com slash how to hardscape. Once again, that's 866-693-1291 or go to gpstrackit.com slash how to hardscape. Link will be in the show notes. Uh, so I've been, Jeffrey, I've been asking a question, uh, more recently to everybody that comes on the podcast that I used to only ask to hardscapers that come on the podcast. It's a big one. So I'm going to ask you, so, uh, take your time with this question and it is, what is one thing, you know, now that you wish you knew from the very beginning? And that could be business related. That could be personal related. It can be related to any direction that you want to take it. But Jeffrey, what is that one thing that you know now? That you wish you knew from the very start. Yeah, so many things, you know. Uh, I'm a big believer in just keep learning and keep growing. If you can't be surprised at any age on what you used to think was correct, even a couple of years ago, you have to constantly be surprised. Um, It's okay to make mistakes. You know, going way, way, way back, I used to think you can't make mistakes. uh, You can't admit your mistakes. Um, but, and this isn't one thing, there's just so many things I've learned, but I have learned now that it's okay to make mistakes. Um, it's okay to say, you don't know how to do things. It's okay to talk with people. 
share your goals, your visions, your dreams, and people will come to you to help you achieve those visions, goals, and dreams. Yeah, that's a big question. So what else did I learn way back then? You know, I, I think there were certain times where I got involved where people were real naysayers to me. And I powered my way through that. And it took time, but I wish I had done it. You know, I, I never look back, by the way, and say, I wish my life was different. I, I'm really happy with how it went. But God, did I suffer other people who didn't believe in me. And uh, if I maybe went backwards, I'd probably power my way through that a bit more quickly. Uh, that is for sure. Um, let me keep thinking here, because that's a yeah. great question. Uh, I, I learned a lot from my father. I'll tell you that. And, uh, and I was really glad I did that. And even though we butt heads working together, gosh, did I learn so much from him? He's still alive. So I'm not talking about him in the past, but I learned that you've got to embrace your uniqueness. Don't be worried. Don't be trying to fit in. And I always kind of did a combination. I really went my own way totally, if you know my life story and business story. But I'm always thinking about trying to fit in, trying to fit in. Um, you know, hey, look, everyone else is doing that. Should I be doing that? Well, always a discussion in my head. And I learned from my dad, <clears throat> you've got to beat a unique path for yourself. You got to be proud of that. You've got to add value to the client. You've got to be uniquely valuable. So uniquely desirable. You you totally need to be unique, but it's got to fill a strong, powerful need with your client. But don't have any fear uh, if you see everybody going in the other direction. As long as you are have uh, good advisors around yourself, you're in touch with your clients, you know where you're going, be willing to take those risks and go in that direction. Jeffrey, thank you so much for your time here. And thank you so much for uh, bearing with my wide ranging questions. I feel like we just scratched the surface of many different topics here that uh, perhaps one day you'd be able to bear with me once again, and we could dive deeper into maybe just one of those topics. But Jeffrey, where can our audience go find out more about you, what you've got going on? Where do you want to send our audience to here? Well, I've written a book called Become a Destination Company, which is still very valuable today to help people attract, retain, and develop great employees. And so uh, I have free copies out there people can get. I don't know if that free copy is on my website, but if you email me and ask me, I'll send you a link to that free copy. Uh, my email is jeff, J-E-F-F, at jeffreyscott.biz. And so you can email me for that, uh, a free copy of that book. You can also buy a copy on Amazon, become a destination company. Uh, that will be a great help for people to take a next step. You've got my podcast, The Ultimate Landscape CEO. Um, it's very similar to yours where I'm interviewing uh, business owners. So that can be a big help. Uh, my newsletter that I send out once a week where I give away a lot of free, valuable information. So if you go to my website and go to the very bottom, there's a place to sign up for my newsletter. And actually, I think you can sign up on the top as well. That's a great high value ad. I get a lot of people listening to that. 
or reading it, I should say. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. If you want to follow me, that's another great place to get free, valuable information. Awesome. Jeffrey, thank you so much for your time here. Awesome. Glad you had me on. Happy to come on again. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. Thank you, Jeffrey Scott, for joining us on today's episode as well. This was a great starting conversation. Maybe we can have him back on for future conversations as we go further down this rabbit hole here. And if I could ask anybody to do something for the podcast, it would be to leave a rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you may be able to leave us a review. I think we just actually slipped below the Not Our Finest Hour podcast in terms of ratings on Spotify. So let's get our ratings up. If you would, if you're listening on Spotify, just tap those five stars quickly right there or on Apple, leave a five star rating and you can leave a written review there. And once again, thank you to our sponsors, Cycle CPA. If you need bookkeeping, accounting, CFO services, reach out to Cycle CPA at cyclecpa.com. Let them know how to hardscape sent you for $200 off their services there. And in light outdoor lighting, if you are looking to add lighting to your services, check them out at Inlight Design. That's I-N-L-I-T-E Design on Instagram. And finally, GPS Track It. If you need GPS tracking in your business, check out gpstrackit.com slash how to hardscape. And we look forward to meeting you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast.